Welcome to the Buzz with Bernie, an economic development podcast. I'm Kara Gormley-Metter, here with your host, Bernie Maybank. And we're about to witness history, inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden uh, about to take place. And it's a moment that one of our colleagues has said is like a dream come true. Today's guest on the Buzz is NP Strategies Chief Operating Officer, Amanda Loveday. Thanks for being here, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Um, for those who don't know your background, we're going to go through it a little bit. You've worn a number of hats over the years. I started as a journalist and then really became intrigued by politics. From there, and, and there are many things in between, but some of the highlights, you go on to serve as executive director of the South Carolina Democratic Party, and then would become communications director for Congre or Congressman Jim Clyburn. Most recently, Amanda was one of three senior advisors for the Biden super PAC called Unite the Country. So we saw a lot of press this year about you playing that role, but your relationship with Joe Biden and this administration and the Democratic Party really expands for many, many years now. Can you get into a little bit of that history and how you first met Joe Biden? Yeah, absolutely. So I first met Joe Biden on MLK Day in 2007. I was a young journalist covering the primary cycle here in South Carolina, and there were 20 candidates that year. There were 12 on one side, eight on the other as an open presidential primary. And on the side of the state house, I interviewed him as a candidate for president. And it was in that moment that I realized that he truly was something special. Um, I knew we'd be at this day. I had hoped it might have been in 2016, but he decided not to run for many reasons. Um, but we got here today, and I think he's, it's the perfect moment for him in this country to be our next president. Um, fast forward a number of years, I became, as you said, the executive director of the Democratic Party. And in that role, as, as we had a sitting president with Barack Obama and the vice president, Joe Biden, I ran into the vice president and his staff many times. He visited South Carolina many times. Um, actually, it's a statistic that isn't discussed very often, but um, from 2013 to 2019, right before he announced for president, he visited South Carolina 14 times for a variety of reasons, from fundraisers to he was the commencement speaker at USC. Um, and in those visits, there were a lot of um, really wonderful moments that we were able to spend together um, with groups and with families. Um, and then he announced his campaign for presidency, and, and I always wanted to be a part of it. And I got asked to be part of the Super PAC, and it was an incredible experience for being able to defend him in the primary and in the general. We stayed positive. We ran only positive ads, which was something that was important to me personally. Um, and my parents actually threw him the second fundraiser he ever had in South Carolina running for president. And um, that was also a special moment to have him in their home and um, being able to really show how important he was to, to me and, and my family. And do you know uh, his wife, Dr. Biden? I know her in the way that I know him and working with the administration and with the staff. And um, we've spent some time together um, during a number of different situations, including Clemente Pinckney's funeral, um, Emily Clyburn's funeral, um, all of these um, times in kind of South Carolina history. I was a part of the political process and the political leadership in the Democratic Party. Um, so got a lot of time together with, with he, his wife, his family, and his staff, and um, are able to use those relationships as they go to be the new leaders of the free world. I like that you chose the word defend him um, because it wasn't long ago. I mean, when you really follow the whole election cycle, the, there were a lot of tenuous moments for the Joe Biden presidential run. And South Carolina was such a huge turning point for him. Can you, first of all, let's explain the super PAC mm -hmm. for people that don't understand. As a super PAC, you can't be intimately involved right. with 
his actual uh, run for office. Right. So explain that and then talk about that turning point, how you were brought in and then we've seen the results. Yeah, so the Super PAC cannot have coordination with the campaign. It's an independent expenditure. It's it's um, kind of part of that dark money that people talk about. We filed all of our FEC reports and, and provided everyone who donated to us because Joe Biden does not believe in that type of campaigning. Um, but in October of 2019, he was getting hit from both sides. It was an unprecedented moment in presidential politics in the sense that the White House and the president himself were attacking Joe Biden because they expected him to be the nominee. And then on the other side, he was being attacked by all the primary candidates he was running against. And so there was a need to tell his story. He wasn't a great fundraiser at the time. That's obviously changed since he became the nominee. Plus the money was so spread. Absolutely, across all the candidates. Mm -hmm. And so we were his messaging tool. Um, and we had to kind of take smoke signals from what they were doing and, and what we could do because there was no coordination allowed. Um, but we were able to tell the story of Jim Clyburn's um, announcement of his support of Joe Biden in a way that the campaign couldn't. We actually mailed a piece of mail to every African-American household in the state of South Carolina giving them the information to Jim Clyburn's endorsement. We were able to put him on the radio. We were able to put videos of him on digital immediately. We filmed these things days before his um, announcement publicly. So we were ready to go when the announcement came out. Um, those were things that the campaign couldn't do. And so we were we felt like we were really integral in that moment and in, in making sure that the people of South Carolina and the country knew that that was happening. Um, and then we continued through the general and were able to stay positive. In 2016, and this is a statistic that made me very proud of the work that we did, 96% of ads that went out in 2016 were negative, negative against Donald Trump and negative against Hillary Clinton. And it didn't work. People didn't want to hear that anymore. And so it was important to our group to make sure that we spent spent and raised $74 million and every single word that came out of our mouths was positive. And what's your relationship with Congressman Cliver? You know, he's, he's always been the number three uh, Democrat in the House, but now that Democrats control the President, the Senate, and the House, his position has skyrocketed. What is your relationship with Congressman Clyburn. And and I honestly I think it's even more important because Joe Biden is president, right? So he he would have always been number three, it already continued to be majority whip no matter who was president, but he is the reason Joe Biden is in that Oval Office and Joe Biden knows that. And Jim Clyburn is going to be such an integral part of this administration, even more so than he was in Barack Obama's. And he was a big deal in Barack Obama's. So um, I think South Carolina has an incredible opportunity uh, to use the relationships that we have with the number three in Congress, with now the DNC chair, with Jamie Harrison, and all of the connections that South Carolina has to Joe Biden specifically. Joe Biden holds South Carolina very dear, near and dear to his heart. South Carolina has a huge opportunity um, to benefit in the next four years with this administration. Um, I was Jim Clyburn's communications director. We spent a lot of time together and in, in our time together um, and have always been an incredible um, supporter of his and someone who believes that he is a huge reason why South Carolina is where we are today um, and look forward to seeing his his um, continued power in this administration. And, and you were communication secretary as a, a House employee as opposed to the campaign? Correct. I was um, a member of his of his congressional staff. Okay. And do you work out of Washington or South Carolina? I worked out of South Carolina, traveled to Washington a number of times. I was his communications director during a very tumultuous time in South Carolina history. We had the shooting at Mother Emanuel. We had the removal of the Confederate flag from the State House grounds. We had the thousand-year flood in Columbia. Um, it, it, they are moments that I would, would absolutely remove from history if possible, um, but they 
occurred while I was working with Jim Clyburn and I, it, those are moments and experiences that I will never ever exchange for anything else because I was able to see these incredible um, hurtful, but also life-changing moments um, in through the eyes of someone that is more opposite than me than I could ever describe. Um, and it was it was moments that I will um, cherish and and change the way I preview I, I preview future moments in my life because of my experiences with him. Okay, and so obviously, uh, did you ever get to visit the vice president at his official residence in, in Washington when he was vice president? I attended a numerous Christmas parties and inauguration events at uh, the Naval Observatory, um, but you know, our time together was spent with um, wonderful staff members that are from South Carolina. We have Trip King and Fran Person and many others um, who call South Carolina home that call Joe Biden a friend. Um, again, like I said, South Carolina holds a very special place in Joe Biden's heart, and I think our state will benefit from that over the next four years. Well, and with the inauguration comes uh, people revisiting the America Rescue Plan, which he unveiled just recently. Um, with that, we're looking at numbers that raise some eyebrows, especially among conservatives. But there's a, what, what is it? We're looking at 1.9. 1.9 trillion. Yes. So can you outlay some of what we're looking at mm -hmm. and some of his priorities after he is official? Absolutely. So he's kind of releasing a two-pronged approach to his effort to, to restart the economy in America. Um, first is this American Rescue Plan, which is really honed in on the on COVID response and making sure people get back to work. It includes um, $400 billion to vaccines and schools, making sure students get back to the classroom before the end of this school year. That's very important. This isn't let's start back in August. It's let's get back in the classroom before May. Um, it's also a $15 uh, minimum wage raise from seven, $7.50. It also includes getting everyone to $2,000 in checks. This is a $1,400 increase, right? So that's a big differentiation here. These are not additional $2,000 checks. This is $1,400 plus the $600 they've already received. Because some people have said it's a third round of right. money. Right, mm -hmm. it is not. It's just a, they see it as a continuation of the checks that they got in December. Um, but also includes childcare, rent aid, um, SNAP benefits um, being raised. Um, and small business assistance. And so all of those things help get this con uh, the economy kind of jump-started. And once the en engine is running, then the Build Back Better plan comes in. And so that's his economic plan to make sure that we um, focus on infrastructure, American manufacturing, and, and make sure we do so in a clean climate way. Um, all of those things will bring in millions of jobs to the American people um, and provide that people have compared it to the New Deal in a sense where there are these new industries that will be developed, um, allowing people to have good, high paying jobs um, for the future years to come. And, and the Republicans, specifically Senator McConnell, has been very adamant about the need for liability protection for businesses um, for COVID-19 litigation. Is, is the vice president, is the president elect have a position on liability protection? They haven't spoken about it in, in length. Um, I know that it's been talked about across all 50 states. Um, it, I suspect it stays that way, but we'll see it as time goes on. Okay. Turning to tariffs. Um, uh, there was a very bipartisan agreement that China was was abusing the United States in a variety of ways, but there was a, a lot of opposition to President Trump's tariffs, both to China and, and Europe and, and other countries. And uh, has, has 
President-elect Biden had a position on tariffs? So President Biden and also Tony Blinken, who's his nominee for Secretary of State, have been very outspoken about their interest in being methodical about their decisions on tariffs. They will not remove the Trump tariffs immediately. They will not add new tariffs immediately. They want to go see what's working, um, what's not working, and what they can do to make um, things better for the American people. President-elect has talked about um, governing internationally uh, to assist the American worker. And so that will be in the forefront of their mind in every decision they make, that if, um, they, if they find ways that will provide better jobs, more jobs um, in America, then they are going to make that decision. If they see that President Trump has enacted something that helps that case, they're not going to remove it. Um, President-elect Biden has been very um, outspoken about if President Trump did something right, he's not. He's it, he wants it to stay there. He wants the American people to benefit from it. If he believes it was wrong, he'll remove it from um, whatever it may be—an executive order or, or a piece of legislation in Congress. Good. So, uh, President-elect Biden was very specific during the campaign, far far more so than President Trump, regarding what he was going to do with taxes. So, according to the Tax Foundation, his uh, his tax proposals will be the following, and, and now that the Senate has won the two seats in Georgia, there's obviously a vastly higher chance of these proposals going into effect. But according to the Tax Foundation, uh, President-elect Biden's plan was to increase the corporate income tax rate from 21% to 28%, to create a minimum tax on corporations with book profits of $100 million or more, double the tax rate on, on global intangible low-income tax, guilty, earned by foreign subsidiaries of U.S. firms to increase it from 10.5% to 21%, double the tax rate assessed on guilty um, on a country-by-country -country basis, establish a manufacturing community's tax credit to reduce the tax liability of businesses that experience uh, workforce layoffs, um, expand the new markets tax credit and make it permanent, offer tax credits to small businesses for adopting a workforce retirement savings plan, expand several renewable energy-related credits, including tax credits for carbon capture, use, and storage, uh, imposing a 10% surcharge on corporations that offshore manufacturing, and establishing a 10% Made in America tax credit for activities that restore production. Uh, that's obviously a long list, but do you have any uh, comments on, on that list? So President-elect Biden has been very um, interested in making sure that corporations in the top 1% of this country pay more in taxes, period, end of story. And if he releases a tax plan and gets a tax plan passed, those two groups of, of people in this country will pay higher taxes. What he's also been very clear about is that anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year in this country will not pay a penny more in taxes. And that's the differentiation that he wants to make, that, that those who can pay more will and those who cannot will not. Um, however, I think that the breakup of the Senate, though maybe on the Democratic side, it, it's not going to allow for significant progressive agenda items to get passed all the time. Mark Kelly of Arizona, um, jo Joe Manchin in West Virginia and others are going to be very methodical in how they decide how they're voting for these pieces of legislation. And Joe Biden's not gonna let something get to Congress if he doesn't believe it's going to pass. So he's gonna have to pick and choose the pieces that he believes the Senate will vote on. Um, and I think that there will be opportunities to um, potentially raise taxes on corporations in the top 1% and making sure that the middle class is not paying more taxes. But I think 
it will be a, comp a, a, a list that will be picked and choosed over based on his tax plan. Okay. And from the family side too, um, expanding tax credits for low and middle income families. Um, that will be something that a lot of people are, are really watching. A absolutely, and I think too, it's important to talk about his interest in growing the workforce and making sure that there are new jobs out there and better jobs for people. I mean, something that really startled me last month is in the jobs number for December, 2020, 100, I think it was 140 or 160,000 jobs were lost. 100% of those were women, 100%. And he has talked frivolously about the importance of making sure that women go back to work, that there's childcare um, tax breaks and, and funding going to childcare centers so they can be open, especially during this COVID crisis. Um, and so he's very cognizant that the workforce is not a blanket of one size fits all. It, it requires a lot of puzzle pieces that go together to make sure that the workforce is black and brown and, and male and female and, um, beachfront and mountain owners. I mean, like uh, he wants to make sure that every American is covered in his plans. And, and he's talked about um, repeatedly that he will be the president for all Americans. And I think these plans that he's pointed out um, just prove that. Of course, the naysayers are going to be like, that sounds like the utopia. And they are going to point to money <laughs> and they're going to point to, you know, how are we going to afford this? What's it going to mean down the road? Uh, just listening to the radio, there's discussion about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency becoming more prevalent because the value of the dollar um, has just, you know, kind of taken a nosedive. Mm -hmm. What is the thought behind the scenes on all of that? Yeah, so Mark Sanford is literally the only person in this country who can um, <laughs> complain about the deficit um, because he's the only one who's done so in both Republican and Democratic administrations in the last eight years. Um, but all kidding aside, um, he's talked about how his tax plan and, and raising the corporate tax and the individual tax for earners um, in the top 1% will provide some of the funds that are necessary for these plans. But there are going to have to be some really hard decisions made to, to figure out where the spending comes from. Um, the last two COVID plans obviously were, were large rescue plans for this country. This and, new and, and we should say that, I mean, Uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. Uncharted. And so figuring out how to solve that is going to be difficult. And um, it's just part of the process that's necessary in a new administration. How about turning to, to immigration? Uh, President Trump got loads of publicity on, in his efforts to stop illegal immigration, but he also either sat on or uh, was very resistant to legal immigration, principally high-tech immigration and the the green card, where if you invest enough money in the U.S., you get a you get a green card. Is is the president elect spoke on immigration? Yeah, he's been um, he's talked about immigration heavily, and he has a number of policies um, having to do with immigration in his 100-day policy uh, rollout, which includes uh, making Dreamers American citizens. Um, he also plans to um, grow some of the visa programs in our country um, to help with uh, bringing in foreign workers, also to provide opportunities for those who want to become American citizens. Um, again, it's not going to be the first thing he does. He has to really, truly tackle this COVID crisis and make sure that American workers get back to work um, and are earning a livable wage. Um, but immigration is something that he believes he can find solutions for. Um, and, and the first stop is are the dreamers in this country. Okay. A, a couple of personal things, because time yeah. is running out. Um, in, in looking back, 
over all of this time. And it's been interesting to see behind the scenes this year because, again, things didn't always look so rosy <laughs> for right. President-elect Joe Biden. But this is something that you've really believed in. I've seen you work behind the scenes. What are those feelings when they first, when the media first called, and obviously there's been some controversy around that, but when they right. first called it, uh, is there a sense of relief? What does one feel after you've spent so much time and invested part of your life yes, in Yes, there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of happiness. Um, still tears today when I hear him call the president-elect. Um, yeah, it's pretty surreal. I mean, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason, and he, he is the best person for this moment. Politics aside, his temperament, his compassion, I think is the best moment um, or best person for this specific moment with COVID, with the economy, with our racial tensions in this country. Um, but I was very, very active in, in the uh, draft Biden movement in 2015 um, to the point that he called me after he made his Rose Garden speech and, and thanked me for my efforts and appreciated my willingness to, to really get out front. Um, and w people ask my favorite Joe Biden moment, and that one is it, because as we are speaking, he, I tell him that my mother had um, purchased some flowers for me to, to get me through my stages of grief that moment. Um, and he said, well, give me your number and gave her a call and had one of those very, very <laughs> typical Joe Biden moments where um, he surprised her. He said, this is Joe Biden. And she went silent. He said, you know, the <laughs> vice president. And her response was, I'm doing great. Thanks. <laughs> to which I can hear her. And I'm like, that's not what he said. <laughs> um, and, and it's just one of those moments I will always cherish and she will always cherish. And, and now that he's been to her house and they've had those memories, it's, it just grows on memories on memories, memories. So this is a very special moment for me. It's, it's something that I've wanted since I met him on MLK Day in 2007. So I will be watching today with lots of tissues. <laughs> well, and, and don't tell Heather Hoops Matthews this. Um, okay, we'll, we'll keep it a secret here. <laughs> but after President-elect Biden became president-elect, I called Amanda because if she was going to a really cool spot to be ambassador somewhere, <laughs> I was lobbying for any type of job that I could help her with, um, to which, you know, you, you laughed. But you have been brought up. I mean, you're right up there as an influencer. I know you hate that word. Um, I'm happy to see you walk through the door every day that you're still in Columbia. Do you have future plans that you can share with us? <laughs> so I'm not I'm not personally wealthy enough to be an ambassador. So those are off the list. Um, but yeah, you know, I've I have shared um, administration interests. I've had lots of conversations. I love what I do here in South Carolina. I think being here in South Carolina and being an MP strategy um, could provide our clients a lot of opportunity for access to the executive branch of this government in a way that we haven't had in a long time. Um, we really haven't had a president who found South Carolina to be a second home to them. Um, so I'm excited for those four years, um, maybe eight for South Carolinians to, to have that access. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to provide that for our clients at, at Nixon Pruitt and NP Strategy. Um, but if, you know, if the president-elect were to call, then, the, you know, that's an answer I would take. Sure. Or a call I would take. Sure. For, <laughs> yeah. Will you be there? Are you going to watch from home? I will be watching from a ball gown on my couch. Um, <laughs> I love inaugurations. I love conventions. I hated that they were all kind of virtual this yes. year. Um, I was very excited to see my man, Justin Timberlake, added to the <laughs> roster today. Uh, so I'll be watching. That's the real story. That is the real story. Um, I will be watching with bells on for that. But um, 
you know, it's it's I want to make sure everyone stays safe. And I think the, the Capitol Police are doing everything they can. Um, it's a scary moment up there. But um, this is a moment that Joe Biden has wanted since he was 29 years old and was elected to the Senate. So I hope that he's getting exactly what he hoped for. And, and we'll be watching tonight all of the fun festivities. All right. Amanda Loveday, COO of NP Strategy. Thanks for taking some time out. This was a lot of fun just to get that behind the scenes look. Thanks, Kara. Thanks, Bernie. All, All right. right. Thank and you. thanks for joining us on the Buzz with Bernie, everybody. Uh, tune in next time or check out some of our old podcasts if you haven't already done so. Bye bye. <laughs>